everyone and thank you for joining me as we look together at the Word of God and uh, how important it is in these days where we're shut away in our houses to get our eyes upon the Lord and ask Him to focus our minds upon His Word and to seek diligently His ways. Um, the passage of scripture that the Lord, I believe, has put on my heart for our time together today is found in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel and chapter 9, the book of Ezekiel chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 1. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you, please do join me. Let's read this passage together. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, In mine hearing, Go ye after them, after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. The message, or the title for the message I feel the Lord has put on my heart for today is Who Will Weep Over God's House? Who Will Weep Over God's House? Let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? And then begin to look at this passage together. Dear Lord, we thank you that we serve the living God who reigns over all. We acknowledge, dear Lord, for such a passage as this, in such a time that we live, we need your grace, we need your anointing, we need your spirit. Please would you help us. If you help us, Lord, if your spirit comes upon this message and enable you enable me to preach what is on your heart, then, Lord, something of this time will for sure go into eternity. But without you, Lord, we flounder and we fall. We are dependent on the enabling of the Spirit of God. And so, dear Lord, we come to you in our need this day and plead with you that by your Spirit you would instruct us in the way we should go throughout the course of this message, from the beginning of it right through to the end of it. Help us, Lord, not to go beyond the remit of your purpose for this message today, but to stay within the bounds of what you want to bring to your people. 
We pray that, Lord, we would speak to the full measure of it by means of faith and the enabling of the Spirit of God, that there would be no loss either. So, Father, here we are. Lead us by your Spirit. Through your Son, we pray. We ask for the headship of the Lord Jesus over this time. Not only do we ask for an, for an anointing upon the speaking of your word, but also the hearing. And by faith we would stand into both for the glory of your name and for your purposes in our lives to be fulfilled. Lord, meet with us. We need you, we love you, and we desire to move on with you. Please help us, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is never easy of bringing a message which is more of a challenge. So often, particularly as preachers, we want to bring messages purely of encouragement and uh, of consolation. Well, I trust there'll be something of comfort and consolation in this message at the end, actually. But, you know, dear friends, we need at times to be challenged even shaken out of any area of complacency that may have come into our walk with God. And I believe the Lord has really shown me this day that we need to focus on this matter of those who sigh and cry over the state of God's house in our nation. You see, the Lord has shut the doors of our churches and for many of us shut the doors of our work and we're at home. And it's an opportunity for us to be able to set aside some time to really seek the Lord, not only for our own lives or our families or our job situations, but for the state of the church to begin to call on God to show us how does he see the church in our nation. I think it's one of the saddest things really that there's so few voices in our day that really have something of the authority of God to proclaim something of God's word into the days we're living in. You know, we hear in the word of God about the sons of Issachar who knew the signs of the times. And not only that, but they knew what Israel ought to do concerning the days they were living in. But it seems to me that there's so few voices within the church that really have heard from God and proclaimed something of the word of God to the people of God. And so we find ourselves in a difficult time period. There is much that's being shaken around about us. There's much that perhaps is being shaken in our own lives. But remember, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And whatever the Lord does in our lives, if it be by means of shaking our routines in order to get our attention, or touching areas of our lives that we lean upon naturally, um, but the law begins to bring them into a shaky place in order to get us away from those things and begin leaning on him. These are all ultimately good things, friends, aren't they? We need to be shaken out of our complacency at times. We're living in days that are leading up ultimately to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and we need to be ready. And whilst there is a sense that God's displeasure is being displayed amongst the nations now, 
Yet the Lord wants the attention of his people. I believe he wants us to catch up with him as it were. And begin to come before him. And see what he is saying. And hear his voice. And humble ourselves in the presence of God. So that we're not simply uh, suggesting to one another what our own minds Uh, views of the situation are but we're actually coming before God and seeking to stand in his counsel to hear what he is saying oh friends so many of us Christians particularly leaders within the church we rush about here there and everywhere very rarely are we really spending any considerable time seeking the Lord and saying now Lord what are you saying in this situation what are you seeking to bring to us? And, and show us how we can let go of things round about to be able to set our attention on you. Do you know we really do need, don't we, in these days, brothers and sisters, to have a burden in our hearts to know God's heart concerning his church, concerning where we are as a church in the nation of England. To know what God is saying. And I believe something of what the Lord wants us to learn to enter into in these days is something of his grief over the way that the church in this nation has become, as it were, so irrelevant to the days that we are living in. There's so many things that are coming out of areas of the church that seem to me to have no weight of God behind them whatsoever. They're words of ease and they're just basically um, ideas of how we can cope in a difficult time. But how many of us are really getting before the Lord and saying, Now Lord, show us how you see things. Help me to feel your heart. And you know, I really feel the Lord has directed me to this passage in Ezekiel chapter 9. Because in the the passage in Ezekiel 9, the Lord is about to bring something of his judgment, something of his displeasure upon the people because they'd rebelled against God. But before he does that, he uh, he speaks um, to the man he's going to use to bring something of this judgment that he puts a mark upon certain people to protect them from the judgment of God. Now this is an amazing thing. But the people that God is going to protect are not those that simply say the right things, but those that were grieved, those that were cut to the heart because of the condition of God's house in the day that they lived in. And I sincerely believe, dear brothers and sisters, God is looking for those up and down this land in his church that will carry this burden, that will carry this burden, that will really begin to get before the Lord and weep over what has happened to the church in our land. Because, dear friends, there was a time in our nation when the church had considerable influence in what was happening round about. She had influence in government. She had influence in schools. She had influence in different areas of society. And we look back upon our history 
in the church over the last 500 years or so. And we see that God moved mightily and men were raised up and they spoke with authority before the peoples in the nation and people turned to God at their words. We have the people like the Puritans that proclaim the word of God fearlessly to the peoples round about and people went to hear them. It was said of John Bunyan that he would be speaking to crowds of thousands at six o'clock in the morning outside. We, we, we have the great testimonies of, of, of God's work amongst the Puritans and the different names of that era. We think of Matthew Henry and others, great men of God of that era that we could just name after name after name bring to this particular message. And then after them, of course, we had the revivals and Whitfield and West. There's too many names in our history for me to be able to mention within the confines of this message. God has given us such a history within the church, friends. Many works of God have been raised up. We think of how God moved with Whitfield and Wesley so that thousands upon thousands gave their lives to Christ. There was a tremendous move of God. And then, of course, we had after them in the following century people like Spurgeon, great preachers. Um, he would be speaking to 6,000 every week at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. People like J.C. Ryle. And then in uh, last century, great men of God like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. But where are these people now? It seems that there's so few names now within the house of God that are proclaiming the word of God with God's authority. And it's as though within the nation we have no voice where once we did have a voice. And surely, brothers and sisters, this should grieve our hearts. Because in the nation of England, in Britain, God has blessed this nation with many more blessings than other nations have experienced. There is the hand of God upon this nation. And yet, dear friends, when we look at the church today and we find ourselves in a position when we're in this situation of the coronavirus and, and, and the lockdown, where are the voices of God's leaders. Where are the leaders? It seems that we're in such a poor state, such a weak state. It reminds me of what happens in the book of Isaiah and chapter 1, where the Lord speaks concerning his people there. And in Isaiah chapter 1, we read these words. In verse 7, Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been a Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. That's the condition we are in, dear friends. Whereas it were like a little cottage, as a cottage in a vineyard, a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. It's as though we're so small and out the way. And the people don't look to us for the word of God. And we find that in many areas within the church, we don't even believe in the word of God. We won't preach the word of God. 
We won't preach repentance. We don't fear God. Dear brothers and sisters, there is so much within the house of God that has gone astray. Standards that once were held within evangelical circles are by and large gone. And there's so few places where the word of God is upheld and where people preach the word of God with conviction and confidence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are the leaders in the church today? Where are they? There are so few. And because there's so few, it's almost as though everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. We're in such a terrible state. But where are those who sigh and cry and grieve over the condition that we're in? What is it to us? Let me ask you, dear friends, what is it to you that the house of God that once stood so strong and had such a presence in this nation is now in a position of such decline and it's as though we don't know where we're at? What is it to us where there's so much immorality and godlessness and impurity that has come into God's house? What is it to us, dear friends? There's so many divisions within the church of God. People saying, I'm of this one and I'm of that one. And party spirit. And where is the love of God amongst the brethren? Dear friends, there's so much, isn't there, that we should be weeping over. Not that we're simply there to condemn ourselves. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about that godly sorrow. That sorrow that leads to repentance, whereby we're grieved over the amount that we've lost and the countless souls that have been damaged and heading towards a lost eternity because we have let go of the purity and the truth of the word of God and the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we are in need of God to do a work to restore us. For his praise and to his glory. We are a people that are bereft. And we don't even know the condition we're in. And we're, con we're happy just to continue service after service after service. Without the presence of God in our meetings. And we're not even aware the Lord's not even there. What grief must be in the heart of God. When his people meet together. And they're happy to have meeting after meeting without his presence there. What is it to the Lord? Does it mean anything to us that the Lord is grieved? Have we any sensitivity left? The, the house of God has gone so far away from the standards of the word of God. And we fill a house, the house of God rather, with entertainment. And with clever ideas. And with messages just to make us feel good about ourselves. But how many of us really are concerned about how God feels? God has feelings too. Who is grieved over the condition of the church for Jesus' sake? For the sake of the Son of God who shed his blood on a cross that he might have his bride. How many of us are grieved over what we've become? And how many of us will use this time, dear friends, that we have? To come before the Lord and begin to cry out to God to change our hearts. How many of us will use this time where we can't just live our normal lives. To come before God and begin to ask him to deal with our hardness. You see, only the Lord can show us 
the condition of our hearts. But he wants to use this time, I believe, to bring to us at the church just how far we've fallen in many areas. And friends, I'm not speaking about every church, of course, in the country. You understand that. But I'm saying, by and large, consider consider what we've lost. If only the people of God would begin to think again. Begin to consider how are we doing in the sight of an almighty God? Are we truly standing upon the principles of the word of God? Or are we more concerned to please ourselves and to fit in with the society round about us that has standards that are completely contrary to the word? Brothers and sisters, what is in our hearts? Do you remember in the book of Haggai, you had the prophet that God sends amongst his people because they're all dwelling in panelled houses of wood and, and the prophet has to come to them and say, you've left building the house of God. And he says twice within the first seven verses of the book of Haggai, consider your ways. Consider your ways. I think that's a word that we need to take to heart within the church of Jesus Christ, within our nation, in this day. We need to start considering our ways before God, getting on our knees and asking the Lord for divine light to show us just where we are in relation, not to what we think the church should be, but in accordance with his word. And I tell you, dear friends, if you and I will get before God, the Lord will show us there is grief in his heart over the condition of our hearts and how far we've come away from the Lord. We have every, every view of this, that and the other within the house of God, how we can change this, how we can change that. But only when we get before God and begin to shed from our own hearts our own ideas and begin to seek His face will we begin to get anywhere. Isn't it sad that it's possible for the Lord to be knocking on the door of a house, uh, of a church, which is his house, and people having meetings without realising the Lord isn't even there, not even in the midst of them. And the reason why the house of God, at least in part, exists is so that the Lord might be the centre of everything. He might fill everything. He might be everything to us. That we might not meet on a Sunday just so that we can entertain ourselves with our favourite songs. But we meet together so we might know the Lord's presence in the midst of his people. And begin to call upon him, to bless him, to honour him, to worship him, to minister the word, to be there for his praise and his glory. The church, the body of Christ, is to be the fullness of him. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We are to be filled up with the Lord Jesus by his spirit. We're to be a dwelling place for God in the spirit. But how many churches is the Lord knocking on the door and wanting to come in? But it's left on the outside because we have our own agendas and we're full of our own ideas. And our own purposes. And in the name of worshipping the living God we please ourselves. This is idolatry within the house of God. 
brothers and sisters, how we need to ask the Lord to give us a heart to sigh and to cry over the abominations that are going on in his house. The Lord can help us if we're willing for it. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is he just looks for one person to turn. He just looks. Is there any in the house of God who will open the door to me? Are there any left who will give me of their time and allow me to come in and rule in every area of their lives? Are there any who will hear my voice? Who will lay down their own agendas and their own ambitions and begin to seek my face and call on me? Oh dear friends, so often we are looking for the Lord's blessings for ourselves. But how many of us want to bless the Lord? How many of us want to weep with him over the condition of, that we're in? How many of us want to share his heart? Oh, may it be, dear brothers and sisters, that you and I, in this time where we are confined to a degree, that the Lord finds us, men and women, that begin to come near him. You may say, well, I don't know how to feel God's heart. I don't know how to grieve over the situation of, that we're in. But brothers and sisters... It's as we call on the Lord, it's as we spend time in his word, it's as we pray and see the difference between what the Lord wants us to be and what we've become, that our hearts will begin to be touched and melted. Oh, friends, as we spend time in the presence of God, he'll melt our hearts. He'll break us. He will allow us to see the condition of our own hearts. And it will bring us to such a sorrow. And not only that, but when you and I learn to get before God, he'll show us the condition of his church. He'll show us the place that we've got to. And we'll begin to know something of that grief and that sorrow. In chapter 8 of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was shown by the Lord the condition of the house of God. In his day. Now I just want to go through a few of these verses with you. In verse 1 of chapter 8. We read. And it came to pass in the sixth month. In the sixth. Sorry in the sixth year. In the sixth month. In the fifth day of the month. As I sat in my house. And the elders of Judah sat before me. That the hand of the Lord God. Fell there upon me. We need. Men who are touched by God in these days. We need those who really are touched of God, who the Lord is able to lay his hand upon. Everything in this chapter begins with God laying his hand upon his servant Ezekiel. And after that we read in verse 2, Then I beheld and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins, even downward, fire and from his loins even upward as the appearance of brightness as the color of amber oh dear friends what an appearance comes to Ezekiel and before the Lord shows Ezekiel the state of his people and the state of the sanctuary he firstly shows Ezekiel something of the nature of himself and he did this earlier 
in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. If you remember, chapter 1 is taken up with Ezekiel having an open heaven and something of the seeing of the things of God. Before the Lord even touched Ezekiel with a word of what uh, he's to do in chapter 2, he first of all shows him something of who he is. And this is what we need, isn't it? Visions of God. Visions of God. This is what Ezekiel had in these days. He had visions of God. He saw something of the Lord. And you find at the end of Ezekiel chapter 1, he's on his face and his face is in the dust before God. And then the Lord commands him to stand on his feet and sends him to the rebellious house. But he doesn't send him to the rebellious house before, firstly, the Lord meets with Ezekiel and in a sense breaks him and puts him down on his face. The same happened with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember he sees the Lord high and lifted up his train filling the temple. And then after the Lord broke his servant, then he gives the word to bring to his servant, to the people of God. And really before the Lord can use us, how he needs to break us, how he needs to deal with our hearts, how we need to see him, friends. How we need to see him. Oh, dear friends, that we would yearn to have the Lord open our eyes to who he is. It's as we see him that the Lord can, will begin to use us in his purposes. And so we find in chapter 8 and verse 2 that the Lord shows himself fire. The Lord is an all-consuming fire, friends. Let's not take a modern view on God that has come into areas of the church today that treats the Lord as though he's just a friend of a, a mate that we get along with. Our God is a consuming fire. He's a mighty God. He's a holy God. He's an awesome God. He's greatly to be feared and to be reverenced and adored and worshipped for who he is. How sad it must be for the Lord when the children of God try to distort the nature and the character of God so to create a God in an image that is compatible with the way they want to live. What an awful thing to do. How that must grieve the heart of God when the people want to change the image of God. And how we see that today, we, we have preachers, as it were, saying that God doesn't mind how we live. It doesn't matter if we live in sin or immorality, or any kind of uh, perverse relationship. No, God doesn't mind how we live. God just loves us. And friends, we've carved out for ourselves a God that suits the way we want to live and is compatible with the society that we live in in order that we don't offend men but we're not afraid of offending God and why is there not that grief in our hearts over the way that we have treated the Almighty surely dear brothers and sisters you and I should love the Lord for who he is and yes God is love God is full of mercy God is full of compassion. Hallelujah for that. But God is also holy. And I don't want to distort the view of God because I love him for who he is. And so should you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you love the Lord for who he is. Let's read the word, meditate on the scriptures, allow what the scriptures show us of who God is to penetrate our understanding of him. And not 
as it were, try and read into Scripture an interpretation of God that we want to create, that suits the kind of God that we want to serve. No, brothers and sisters, let's love the Lord for who He is. I praise God for His holiness. Praise God that is pure. Praise God that is righteous. Praise God that He is just. Praise God that He is love. But also praise God that He is light. Let's praise Him for everything that He is. Let's not try to distort His image. For God is lovely and pure and holy. And He is rightly to be praised for who He is. Oh, that we would love God for who He is, for His meekness, but also for His majesty, for His mercy, but also for His righteousness and His hating of sin. Let us love God for who He is. Well, in this particular revelation, in verse 2, it speaks about also not only his appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downwards fire, but it also goes, goes on to say, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the colour of amber. This speaks of brightness, brightness, a shining brightness. This is the God we worship. He is bright, he is radiant, he is glorious. The natural eye cannot behold the glory and the brightness of the Lord, but also His holiness and His, His utter purity. Let us seek to have something of the revelation of the Lord in His Word ever before us, lest we be distorted in our thinking by the clever words of men. Let us be those that always hold ourselves to what the Scriptures say about God lest we find our hearts being carried along by some sensual understanding or feeling that comes over us, that draws us into a wrong view of God. No, 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 let's have the biblical view, because God is holy. He is an all-consuming fire. He is also radiant and bright and shining, who is like our God. And then we go on to read in verse 3. And he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy. There was an image of jealousy right amongst the people of God. And this image was an idol. It was something that was taking the place of the Lord amongst the people. Their hearts were going after this image rather than going after the Lord. And we're going to find out as we continue through this passage, one of the key features of the backsliding of God's people in this day was sheer idolatry. And paganism. Let's go on to read. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. 
Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes, now the way toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. Isn't this a tragedy? The people of God have forsaken the only one who had done them good. And as a result of the idolatry and the godlessness and the image of jealousy, provoking to jealousy, the Lord had removed himself from the sanctuary. The presence of God had been withdrawn where once the Lord was. This is one of the tragedies, dear brothers and sisters of our days, is it not? That there are churches up and down this country that once knew the Lord amongst them in power and His Spirit moving upon them. The house was filled with the presence of God. And yet now that building simply stands as testimony to a bygone era. And the people are unaware that the Lord isn't in their meetings in the way He once was. This is the tragedy, dear friends, that we don't even realise. We're not even aware. We don't even have that deep grief in our hearts that we are not experienced the presence of God amongst us as we once did. What a tragedy. But turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abomination. So now the Lord is leading Ezekiel from one degree of abomination to another. And he goes on to say in verse 7. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not. The Lord has forsaken the earth. You see, what, the, what there is here is an exposing of the fact that the, the ancient leaders of the house of Israel no longer fear God. They don't really, they don't really believe the Lord sees them. They carry on in their darkness evil practices of idolatry and feel that they're just getting away with it and the Lord doesn't see it. One of the key problems within the, us, our hearts in the church today and within the leadership within the church is that there's such little fear of God. I wonder if every pastor and leader in this country were, were exposed before all the things that they were doing in secret, how many would blush? You see, there's so much, dear friends, that we need to realise is going on in secret. There's things probably that we don't even know about, that leaders maybe are getting into. Things of idolatry. And there's, we, we hear these stories of how there's pastors that go into their office and they're watching pornography. 
Behind closed doors, the thing is hidden before men, but it's not hidden before God. But these leaders are saying, well, the Lord doesn't see. And then they get in the pulpit and start speaking about the Lord the following Sunday. Friends, this is such a grief, is it not? In this particular passage, Ezekiel had to dig. He had to dig in order that there be an exposing out of what really is going on in the secret place. And we need to pray, I think, dear friends, that the Lord would expose something of our hearts to us, reveal something of our condition to us by exposing some of these things that are going on behind closed doors. Let the fear of God once again come upon us. We go on to read in verse 13. He said unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Fertility God. They're weeping for a fertility God. This is going on in the house of God. This is going on. And they're weeping not for the fact that the Lord has removed himself from the sanctuary. Oh, that doesn't grieve them at all. They're weeping over the fact of Tammuz. Dear friends, isn't this a grievous thing? That within the house of God, we are grieving over the wrong things. We're weeping over things that God isn't weeping over. We're weeping over our idols, but oh to God, we would weep over how far we've turned from God. Verse 15, Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. It's interesting, isn't it? These ones were looking, their faces were towards the east. We see, dear friends, in our days, a looking towards the East in a certain way, don't we? We see Eastern mysticism coming within the house of God. We see contemplative prayer coming within the house of God. We see incense coming into the house of God and icons coming into the house of God. The very sort of things that are mentioned here. And they're coming again into the house of God. And it's evidence that idolatry has got a grip of our heart. You see, if you're living by faith, you don't need icons all about you. Because we don't live by what we see. We live by faith in the unseen God, who is the living and holy God. And yet we are seeing all these idolatries come into the house of God. You know, there's a word of scripture that is mentioned in the book of Hosea that I want to turn you to. Hosea chapter 6. And verse 10, you see, dear friends, this, when the people of God turn away from God and to idolatry, it's, it's, it's harlotry, it's, 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 it's wickedness before God. Rather, it is, it is a form of whoredom 
Look at what it says in Hosea 6 verse 10. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Whoredom in scripture speaks of idolatry. And we are to be joined to the Lord. We are to be uh, those that are prepared to be part of the bride. Chased, set apart. Only having our hearts filled with love for him. And yet what we find within the house of God is that there is a going after others. And a yielding ourselves to all kinds of sensual pleasures within the house of God. That has little to do with God. Nothing to do with God at all. False images, icons, incense, sensual gratification has come into God's house. Even things like yoga has come into the house of God and people practice these things. Within God's house, dear brothers and sisters, surely we need to be those that sigh and cry over what is happening round about us. Having the heart that Ezekiel had, uh, at least that the people had in Ezekiel chapter 9. Well, finishing this chapter, it goes on to say in verse 17, Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to the nose. Therefore will I deal in fury. My eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. God had said that enough was enough. Enough was enough and he was going to have to bring his word of judgment. And the Lord brought his judgment and we read something of it in chapter 9. But what is interesting is that the Lord has those that he covers. The Lord has those that he protects in a day of his judgment. Those who are preserved. Those who are kept. And who are these? Those that sigh and cry over the abominations that were going on in Judah. And in after we read about that in verse 4, the scripture goes on to show us how the Lord sent forth this man to go and slay. They had to go and slay um, all those that were destined for judgment. And then it goes on to say that Ezekiel's heart is stirred and it says in verse 8, And it came to pass while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, oh Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? You know, I think this is something wonderful about Ezekiel in all this. That although he's seen the abominations that have gone on in God's house, and though he knows that the people of God uh, was going to judge, were rightly to be judged, he had it in his heart to cry out to God for mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, this should be something of our heart, that we plead with God, that even in a day where there must be something of the Lord setting aside of people that have turned their backs and gone after wrong ways, that it, there should be a grief in our hearts and we should be pleading with God that he would yet spare. That should be the attitude of the heart I believe we should adopt 
concerning them. Verse 9 says, Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. You see, the whole people had the same attitude as, as the leaders. And very often this is the case, dear friends. If leaders don't fear God, why should the people, in a sense? Well, all of us should fear God who truly know him. But the leaders should be setting an example and a standard that we should be fearing and reverencing God in his house. And the Lord holds the leaders more accountable. We read in verse 10, And as for me also, my eye shall not spare, neither will I pity, but I will recompense them recompense their way upon their head and behold the man clothed with linen which had the inkhorn by his side reported the matter saying I have done as thou hast commanded me and the judgment was set forth but dear friends thank God there were some that were so grieved in their hearts that they sighed and they wept over the condition of God's house and the Lord is looking for those who will share his grief because it's those who come close to his heart that he he can begin to speak to he can begin to use them and touch them you see dear friends while we're in this time where we're shut away where we have opportunity to consider our ways and consider how far we've fallen from God and we pray if we share God's heart if we come before him to experience how he feels about things. I believe the Lord would give us yet opportunity after this period of lockdown for a period whereby we might know a measure of liberty in once again proving a repentance and coming back into the house of God to be a people that, that are changed, that want to get through with God now, that value every meeting we have together. Because the days are not going to be too long before our precious Lord Jesus returns to this earth. But dear friends, in that time of opportunity, may it be that we treasure our meetings. May it be we prepare our hearts before we gather. May it be that we meet together and love one another and reverence the Lord and seek to get through with him and seek to be a people that are done with any kind of idolatry within our hearts and within the house of God. May our chief concern be the pleasure of God in our midst. May, his, may our desire be his desire that the Lord is exalted in everything. But it begins, dear friends, by us knowing something of this grief before God. I think of Nehemiah. When you look at Nehemiah, do you remember how he was out in, in, in Babylon and he, and, and he was met with by Hanani who came from Jerusalem and who told him that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. And it says in the word of God that Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. You know, Nehemiah, before he did anything, was fill the grief of God's heart. And it's the beginning of everything, really. 
It's the beginning of everything, brothers and sisters. If you and I can learn to put aside all our own prejudices, all our own preconceived ideas of what should be or what shouldn't be in, in the house of God and get the word of God open and allow God to convict our own lives and allow the Lord to begin to show us his heart, then we're at the beginnings of something. You see, often true moves of God begin when God's people begin to repent. When we begin to turn and when we begin to yield ourselves to the Lord and cry out to him. Oh friends, how many of us, I include myself, how many of us are truly grieved over the condition of God's house? Let me end with this though, dear friends, to encourage your hearts as we close. The truth of the matter is, if we weep with the Lord, the fruit of weeping with the Lord is joy. The end result will be joy. You see, Nehemiah began weeping and in the end God used him as an instrument to be brought back to Jerusalem and see the building up of the walls and the gates that were once burned with fire restored. What joy would have been in his heart over what the Lord did. But it began with him weeping before God unto the joy coming afterwards. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And Nehemiah's name speaks of someone whom the Lord comforts. The Lord comforts. And do you remember what our dear Lord Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. No doubt those who receive the mark upon them from the Lord in the day of his judgment in Ezekiel chapter 9 knew the comfort and consolation of God because they were those who wept and mourned before God and, and, and sighed over the condition of God's house. God saw every tear. God saw every sigh. There wasn't merely a kind of critical attitude, a tutting as it were, of what others were doing in the house of God. No, this was a grieving, this was a weeping and a sighing, a mourning over the condition of the house of God. Brothers and sisters, may we be those that share the heart of God. He loves us. He wants to use us. I believe so much begins with a heart being touched with God's heart and God's people knowing that brokenness, that weeping before God. May the Lord help us to be servants that share his heart weep with him unto knowing the joy there's a wonderful fruit that comes out of weeping there's a wonderful fruit friends we shall see it if we're willing for the cost may the lord help us in our prayer times to so seek him to deal with us individually yes but that the lord would clear the house of god of idolatry of pleasure-seeking, of entertainment, 
of idolizing men. And may we know a house, the house of God. At least in places may we know churches that are truly set apart for God. May there be a remnant in this land to the praise of the Lord's glory. The Lord bless you brothers and sisters and thank you for being willing to watch this message. It's not always easy to listen to a message like this. It's not always easy to give it. But it's important that we receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.